Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No them. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaigns. Oh wait, unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Whenever you hear the word impeachment, I want you to substitute another word, coup. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW Talknet. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our Judicial Watch weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us. Another sad week for the rule of law as the Justice Department, the Deep State Justice Department goes to war against President Trump. And of course the casualty is our Constitution and our Republican form of government. And I'll talk about that. Uh, just unbelievable developments, but some ways not surprising, uh, certainly if you've been following Judicial Watch for a period of time. Uh, we have sued the FBI for documents about the mysterious death of Seth Rich. We have new documents about who Rod Rosenstein was talking to uh, while he was at the Justice Department. And uh, you'll be surprised to learn, or maybe not surprised to learn, uh, that his pals included many people in the Obama gang. And plus we have a, a disturbing group of documents about the abortion issue uh, that I'll be discussing with you. And uh, frankly, they're the most disturbing documents I've ever seen in my time at Judicial Watch. So uh, you're going to hear about that as well. Uh, but first up is the current crisis, the ongoing crisis. It really has never ended. Uh, the president beat back acquittal, but the coup has never stopped. The pressure on him continues, uh, and it's just a matter of where it's coming from. Uh, initially came from the Obama administration with the illegal spying on him. It came from the Clinton campaign that was working all the various government agencies, the State Department, the CIA, uh, the Defense Department, the FBI, the DOJ, all to launch spy efforts against the president based on lies. Uh, and then the president becomes president. State Department's pushing garbage information out trying to undermine the president. Uh, we have that information. You have James Comey going to overdrive to try to destroy the president with uh, by uh, trying to spy on him personally and directly and then by leaking documents. We have the Mueller appointment which was uh, two years of harassment of the president of the United States trying to entrap him and figure out ways to put him in jail despite their no but despite everyone involved knowing there never was any Russia collusion and therefore never any good faith basis to investigate him. That collapses. They move on to the coup, uh, uh, the next phase of the coup, which was the Ukraine corruption uh, scandal that was more about Biden's scandal than anything the president had done. That coup was shattered in the Senate. And so uh, within a week, within a week, they've concocted another scandal, uh, which is somehow some politicization of the Justice Department when in fact you've had uh, deep state actors in the Justice Department involved in everything I've been talking about. Uh, once again, rear their ugly heads uh, to try to smear the president of the United States, vindicate Robert Mueller's sham investigation, and uh, in doing so undermine the rule of law. So on the specifics, the week began with Roger Stone uh, being uh, further abused by the Justice Department. Outrageously, uh, the Attorney General of the United States, Bill Barr, and his leadership team uh, left in place after Mueller, uh, uh, Mueller's investigation ended, uh, the Mueller team 
that was involved in prosecuting Stone. So essentially, the same group that had targeted Stone for Mueller continued to target Stone for Barr. Now, given all the improprieties of the Mueller investigation, all the questions about its origination, uh, which was infected uh, by the fraudulent dossier the Justice Department admitted was false uh, in terms of um, uh, admitted was the basis for the false FISA affidavits. Uh, despite the president, uh, Attorney General Barr and Durham uh, suggesting that the whole genesis of the investigations targeting Trump that led ultimately to Stone's prosecution a year, year and a half later, almost two years later, uh, was suspect. And uh, despite all the public concerns about Mueller hiring a bunch of Democrats and Clinton donors and Obama donors and Democratic donors and activists to man his prosecution team, despite all of that, Barr leaves in place those individuals. So surprise, surprise, a week after the president's acquittal, they concoct a scheme that uh, has resulted in another scandal. It's a fake scandal, but it's a scandal nevertheless because the media is trying to, uh, uh, is causing, uh, uh, the media and their allies are, are causing problems for the president again. But the fake scandal is that uh, somehow the president of the United States is not able to supervise the Justice Department. He's not allowed to talk about the Justice Department. And how did this erupt? It erupted because these Mueller operatives of the four prosecutors that were involved in the Mueller, uh, excuse me, in the Stone prosecution team, I think three of them work for Mueller, three of them are registered Democrats, and they went into the judge and said that Mueller, uh, excuse me, that Stone deserves seven to nine years. When in fact, when you look at the crimes he committed, uh, any reasonable reading of the sentencing guidelines would be three to four, if that. And what is the difference between the two recommendations? Well, they say he made a threat. And what happened is he called a friend of his who uh, was somehow involved in discussions about trying to communicate with WikiLeaks and things like that. And uh, he said he saw he was cooperating with, I think, Congress at the time. And he called up and he started making absurd threats to him, saying, I'm going to kill your dog and things like that. Threats which were not taken seriously. And obviously were met not seriously. But it was enough to get him convicted as witness tampering and things like that and making threats. So these deep state prosecutors uh, suggested to the judge that she needs to consider these threats as serious, even though the witness himself, the target of the threats, didn't take them seriously. And they also implied falsely that the Stone prosecution was part of foreign intervention in our elections. He wasn't charged with anything related to that. And they also suggested he should go to jail for a longer period of time because uh, he had violated a gag order during the trial. He wasn't prosecuted for that. So obviously a punitive, abusive use of their powers as prosecutors to try to put Ameri an American citizen in jail longer than necessary. How do I know it's longer than necessary? Because Bob Barr's Justice Department, once it became public to much outrage that they were seeking seven to nine years for Roger Stone, 
when the entire Obama-Clinton gang are walking around free, Barr admits he looked at that and said this can't be true, and it turned out it was true, and they had to file another brief stepping back from those recommendations and highlighting that the sentencing guidelines at most would put Stone away for four years, which in my, in my view is still too long. And as this is all happening, the president tweets out quite appropriately, this is a miscarriage of justice and complains otherwise. And so uh, after the Justice Department, as the Justice Department is retreating and suggesting that those lawyers in doing so may have violated the rules, that's the way I read it, all those lawyers pull back from the case. They withdraw from the case, seen as a protest. So trap laid, trap set, trap triggered. Barr walked into it. New scandal. Now, of course, the real scandal is you had Justice Department prosecutors abuse their position to try to put an American in prison longer than necessary. And Barr had to take steps to intervene to stop that abuse of power. Instead, the fake scandal is the President of the United States did something wrong about, by complaining about Justice Department misconduct. And Barr fell into the trap. He gave an interview saying, the president's tweets make my job harder. Make it, wait, he actually said, make it impossible for him to do his job. I would suggest what makes it impossible for him to do his job, as properly defined, is the corruption of people he leaves in place around him. I mean, we had the FISA court of the United States, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, essentially announced to the world in an order just a few months ago, it can't believe anything the FBI and Justice Department have to say on FISA warrants, the most sensitive warrants the government can probably pursue. We have the Justice Department admit two warrants targeting the President of the United States, two spy warrants, all signed off and approved on by both the FBI and Justice Department, were false meaning criminal in nature, when you're lying to the court and falsely presenting information to the court to get a warrant on someone, you're committing crimes. And we're all supposed to be worried that the president is tweeting? I like Attorney General Barr, but I think he, he's, call, he's making the wrong call here or taking the wrong approach in suggesting that it's inappropriate for the president to tweet about the Justice Department. This is the, this is the strategy of the Kukabal, the deep state, the Clinton-Obama gang, the administrative state, the permanent bureaucracy, however you want to call it. They, are, they don't want the president to be president. They don't want him to fire people. They don't want him to talk to foreign leaders. They don't want him to have the ability to take out terrorists abroad. They don't want him to protect the security of the United States. They don't want him to run the Justice Department. They don't want him to appoint judges. Well, how do I know that? Because they tried to remove him from office based on a fraudulent charge. 
and they're suggesting he's committing crimes by doing his job. You fire Comey, which is his right as president, you're doing a, you're committing a crime. You ask a foreign leader to assure him, the President Trump, to assure President Trump that our, our taxpayer funds aren't being wasted on a corrupt, on a corrupt government abroad. Let's remove him from office for talking like that. And now the latest is the president can't talk about the Justice Department. Now, if the president had called Attorney General Barr up and said what was going on and that became public, do you think that would be a scandal too? Of course it would be. Because the President Trump is not allowed to do the things a normal president is able to do. Because they hate Trump and they, in my view, they see him as a threat. And of course, they want to freeze the Justice Department. And how do you freeze the Justice Department? By presuming any activity that targets the Clinton slash Obama gangs is inappropriate. And any activity to rein in the corruption targeting the Trump gang is inappropriate. So it results in the Trump gang, Trump allies, getting improperly targeted and prosecuted and jailed, and it, and it results in the Obama-Clinton world walking away scot-free. That's the crisis of the Justice Department. The crisis of the Justice Department isn't President Trump tweeting. It's Justice Department employees, attorneys, most of whom are Democrat partisan liberal activists, abusing the powers entrusted to them by the American people to act in a corrupt way. They think they can get away with it, too. I mean, these four lawyers who tried to punish Stone inappropriately, they should be subject to investigation. And as, to, as if to confirm that the Justice Department is, is just so thoroughly corrupted, they announced this week, excuse me, just today, that Andrew McCabe won't be prosecuted for what looks to be his admitted lies to investigators about his involvement in leaks. I think he lied four times, according to the IG, that referred him to Justice Department to the Justice Department for Criminal Investigation almost two years ago. I think it was in April 2018. So the week begins with a slap at Trump, and it ends with a slap at Trump. Decision made, at least it was signed off on by a deep stater who's been there forever at the Justice Department. The same lawyer, by the way, who um, also was responsible for the Awan Brothers plea deal did you know that? Remember that plea deal with the Debbie Washerman Schultz Democratic IT scandal? Many people criticize that plea deal has a slap on the wrist. So Andrew McCabe is facing no prosecution for lying repeatedly on a sensitive investigation. He not, not only lied to IG investigators at the DOJ, he lied, it looks like, to FBI investigators as well. And Roger Stone is going to go to jail if the judge follows, his, follows the sentencing guidelines for up to four years. And the only reason that's happening is because 
the corrupt deep staters, Mueller operatives at the Justice Department were caught. People were sensitive to this and they actually stopped it. I mean, so I've got two, I'm of two minds on Barr. He fell into a trap and talked about the problem the wrong way and talking about Trump, but he deserves credit for coming in and stopping the corruption. And now I'm of three minds because frankly, the corruption should never have allowed to get that far. He should have frozen everything related to Mueller and he still should. Now he's being criticized because he's got an outside team reportedly looking at Flynn. So stop blaming the president. The problem is your Justice Department's out of control. And the president has a positive constitutional obligation. And when I say positive means that he's got to do it. His job, his duties and responsibilities require it to confront Justice Department corruption. He sees they're about to abuse American citizen. He should, he should speak up. Now, if he had called Barr directly and said, you got to do something about it, they would have gone after him. So he resorts to going on Twitter. And there's this big lie that presidents can't talk about prosecutions and can't direct constitution, uh, prosecutions. That's not true. A, it's not a constitutional point of view. It's a political point of view that presumes that the Justice Department is independent. If the Justice Department is independent, then the Justice Department should be shut down because it would be unconstitutional. The Justice Department is designed to implement, enforce the rules of our land. And those powers flow mostly from the President of the United States. They report to him, not the other way around. President Reagan ordered the Justice Department to stop a criminal investigation into British Airways, I think in 1982. It was a criminal um, antitrust investigation. He said, stop it. President George H.W. Bush, remember after the Rodney King riots? Uh, the police officers were acquitted from the criminal charges. There were all, all this rioting. Immediately, within an hour, he said, he called the Justice Department, told the Justice Department, I want you to investigate those police officers. And he boasted about having federal prosecutors on the plane within a day or two. Five federal prosecutors. Go look it up. Forget when the riots were, 1992. And then there's uh, numerous instances of Barack Obama boasting about his connections and his involvement and his direction to the Justice Department, specifically in the Eric Gardner case, who was a, a person who uh, was killed in, uh, during a struggle with the police and New York, and they were, uh, I think the police were acquitted. And basically Obama boasted that he was making sure Eric Holder was pursuing civil rights charges against these officers. The president has a constitutional duty, authority, and frankly, given the breakdown at the Justice Department, a heightened duty to take action and run the Justice Department or make sure it's being run effectively and efficiently.
because the Justice Department is behaving in a way, despite Barr's best efforts, and we can argue about it whether they're best or not, you know I'm suspect, Justice Department needs to reassure us that they're fairly administering justice. And they're not. Not if you're connected, not if you're powerful in the, in the liberal sense of the word. Justice Department had uh, two referrals, one on James Comey for illegally leaking President Trump's FBI files, including classified information lying about it, lacking candor, referred to Barr's DOJ for prosecution, wasn't prosecuted. Andrew McCabe, referred for uh, lying about leaking, wasn't prosecuted, referred by the IG. There's no evidence, and I'll say it again, there's no evidence of a serious criminal investigation into the legal spying on President Trump. There's a New York Times story out today, or this week, depending on when you're hearing this, but go look it up. And the New York Times, of course, is being dishonest, and they're kind of acting as a defense counsel for the Obama gang being investigated by Durham. So they're investigating the CIA and how they handled Russia interference, and buried in the story is the lead that the Obama White House actually interfered with the Russia interference investigation. And that Obama's emails have been hacked. And so the supposition is, and the, and the conclusion is, that there may have been actually cover-up orchestrated by the Obama White House. So that's one element of the story. The other element of the story, Durham doesn't seem to be doing a criminal investigation. It looks like he's doing a glorified IG investigation. There's no indication he's doing a criminal investigation. Now, in theory, he could do a glorified IG investigation and then refer people for prosecution. When is that going to happen? Do you have any confidence it will happen? I can hope it will happen, but we see what's happening at the Justice Department. In the case of the Stone case, you know what happened? They had an acting U.S. attorney come in at the last minute, appointed by Barr, who in theory was supervising these Mueller operatives targeting Stone, and there was, they were trying to push for this abusive sentence, and this U.S. attorney, acting U.S. attorney said no, and they said, well, if you don't agree, we'll pull out of the case. And so he caved and let them file the brief. That's what the reports are. Who's running the Justice Department? And I guarantee you that story goes on all the time. We just had a story last week I told you about. Duncan Hunter, a former Republican congressman, he's former because he had to resign last month, was prosecuted. I think there were 69 criminal charges filed against him and his wife basically an absurd indictment. And he and his wife, I think, pled guilty to one minor charge, and he's facing sentencing next month. And one of his uh, issues he tried to raise with the court was that the prosecutors here have it in for me. They're Clinton, they're Clintonites. They went to a Clinton fundraiser. And the response from the Justice Department and the Secret Service was they were there to provide advice, prosecutorial advice in, the, in, the, in, the, uh, in case of a security in incident which just sounds absurd on its face. That's just obviously false, but the court bought it. And um, so we asked about what went on there. 
we've received the documents for uh, FBI, uh, excuse me, Justice Department emails, thanks to a lawsuit we filed, and they show they weren't there for security. They were there because they wanted to be there. They talk about how fabulous the party was. So all of that implies, A, they lied to the court, and maybe Duncan Hunter shouldn't be facing jail because of that corruption. Attorney General Barr needs to focus on the corruption in his own agency and pay attention to the president's concerns about this. Like I said, almost, I like Barr. This is frankly the only public comments he's made, you know, I, I don't want to exaggerate too much because I'm sure I disagree with him on other stuff, where he, he got it wrong as to the crisis the Justice Department faces. And I'm, after all this settles down, I was on uh, Lou, Dobb this, Lou Dobbs this week, and I encourage you to write, uh, watch the interview. Because this, this dispute between Barr and, and Trump, it's not a real dispute. It's going to move on, move forward. But Barr needs to understand that it's about him. They are still concerned, despite my skepticism that they have good reason to be concerned, they're still concerned. And we can always maintain hope that something will be done. That the Clinton gang and Obama gang will get prosecuted for what they did to Trump and other innocent Americans. And they want to stop that from happening. So don't be distracted by the fight about tweets. Focus on the fact that Justice Department is corrupt and out of control. Barr barely has control of the agency. He is surrounded by on all sides in terms of the media, within the agency, and in Congress by people who don't want him to do what the law requires or what justice demands in terms of Obama and Clinton. And you see they have this internal effort to try to destroy him, make him, you know, trip him up. And as I say, he doesn't even have enough control to ensure that justice is done without his personal intervention. I mean, that's how out of control things are in the Justice Department. It's over 100, I think they have over 100,000 people who work there. 100,000 people. I want you to go back and look at another, by the way, I, I, this, uh, this is another reminder. Go back and look at our case, the Black Panther case that we exposed, where the Justice Department Career Civil Service had the Black Panthers dead to rights, New Black Panther Party up in Philadelphia, standing outside a polling place with truncheons. And um, they, I don't think they showed up in court. They, so, you know, they were going to win. And so Obama appointees came in and shut the case down. They lied that there were political appointees who made the decision and pretended it was career appointees. That wasn't the case. So the next time you hear about, well, it's terrible if the Justice Department is run by the White House or political appointees, that's just bunk. They're just trying to ensure that their allies in the bureaucracy can continue to commit misconduct and put people in jail who don't belong there. So our Republic totters and we're supposed to be talking about the president's tweets, I ain't going to do it. As far as I'm concerned, the president should tweet more. The president's general tweeting, who agrees with everyone, who agrees with every tweet someone puts out? That's not the issue. 
I'm sure I can look at some tweets I've put out and say, boy, I wish I had said that differently, or look at that typo, or boy, did I get that wrong. We've got a Justice Department who was caught this week trying to put a man in jail for an unnecessarily long period of time. Four extra years, all to score political points, to make Trump look embarrassed, help vindicate the Mueller operation by giving it another big sentence it could tout to justify its sham abuse of the rule of law. And what's Judicial Watch doing? We're fighting it all. And I wish Attorney General Barr would spend more time focusing on why his Justice Department is defending the indefensible. They're protecting Andrew McCabe, not giving us his text messages. They're protecting Page and Strzok by slow walking the release of documents. They're even protecting Barack Obama. Remember Barack Obama? He was president of the United States, right? He was interviewed by the FBI, and there's a report about that interview. It's about the sale of his Senate seat. We can't get it from the Justice Department. One of the few 302s we can't get. They're just making up new excuses not to give it to us. This Justice Department. This Justice Department sent six lawyers to court just a few weeks ago, middle of December, to try to shut down our efforts to question Hillary Clinton. This Justice Department is defending virtually every effort to stall the release of records about every major scandal you care about. But whoa, we don't want the president tweeting about that, right? Wrong. The president often retweets me, often retweets Judicial Watch. My guess is he thinks we're doing more work than the Justice Department on the corruption issues the American people care about. And it doesn't mean Barr's doing nothing. That's not my point. The point is the Justice Department needs to be a focus of significant reform, and we need to have high expectations and a recognition that they've been out of control and there's got to be serious justice. The fact there's no major special counsel, no major grand jury or criminal investigation of anyone is one of the most alarming developments in our criminal justice system and our justice system generally that I can think of in recent American history. The fact that Judicial Watch is almost alone in trying to get documents about the spying on the President of the United States, what does that tell you? It tells you the Justice Department's asleep at the switch. And Barr may be trying, but you know what he should say? I'm trying, but this Justice Department's out of control. Yes, the pre- I saw this. Look at what happened here. We had prosecutors that I trusted that tried to abuse their power to target a defendant, and I had to intervene. That's terrible. The president tweeted about it. He was concerned. I'm concerned, too. We were already on top of it. That's what he should have said. So we're just going to keep on suing. For example, there's this issue with 
It's a big issue for a lot of people. I know there have been um, a lot of theories about this because of the failures of our law enforcement to solve the murder. Uh, it's the issue of Seth Rich. Now, Seth Rich was uh, a young man who was murdered here in Washington, D.C. He, his technical position was with, um, well, he w worked for the Democratic National Committee. His position there uh, was voter expansion data director. And Smith was, uh, excuse me, Rich was only 27 when he was murdered. Terrible. Uh, in July of 2016. And the murder remains unsolved. And there were some weird things about the murder. Uh, he was shot in the back. Uh, most, much of his belong, you know, not, he wasn't robbed, so they left everything there. And uh, based on our investigation, we have reason to believe the police handled this death a bit differently than it otherwise would. Uh, in terms of crime in the area in which he uh, uh, was killed, uh, you know, the criminals don't normally do what happened there. They, you know, they don't shoot someone and leave them lying in the street unrobbed. It's an, it was an unusual set of circumstances. And of course, it's unsolved, which raises additional questions. And then on top of all that, you had Julian Assange of WikiLeaks suggests that Seth Rich was a WikiLeaks source. Now, I don't know if that's the case, but he said that. So that raised all sorts of other questions. So we had asked the FBI for documents about Seth Rich, and we've asked the, the DC police, we haven't gotten anything from them because they say the investigation's still open. But we'd asked the FBI for documents, we didn't get any answer. I think another request suggested they had nothing. So we just had to sue for Seth Rich documents. And why do we think the FBI had records? Because in another case, we found Seth Rich records. I told you about this WikiLeaks scandal. Julian Assange um, had put out an award, a reward of $20,000 for information regarding Rich's death. So the public affairs official in the uh, FBI was sending this email around and it, and it percolated through Page and Strzok, Lisa Page and Peter Strzok. So we thought, well, this is curious. What is this Seth Rich story doing in here? And the way it was handled, the, uh, one of the officials says, I squashed the story with someone, denying any specific involvement. A weird set of emails. I don't know why the FBI wouldn't be investigating this in light of Assange's investigations or allegations. So we sued for records. I don't know what we're going to find. You know, but the media would have you believe you're not allowed to raise questions about the death of Seth Rich. Fact is, the poor man was murdered. The circumstances of the death are unusual. You've got this potential connection to national, international stories, as Roger Stone is seeing. Why wouldn't the FBI be investigating this? Maybe they found nothing. Maybe they found all, you know, Julian Assange was just trying to take advantage of the rich murder uh, to distract from the fact that the actual source for the documents was from Russia? I mean, that, that may be true. But what was going on? And why can't they just tell us one way or another if they have documents in a forthright way? That's why we had to sue. Media doesn't want to do anything on this. Congress doesn't want to do anything on this. But I do know the American people want some answers on Seth Rich's murder.
The answers may be, it's a terrible tragedy. He was the victim of a random act of violence, as is too often the case in our major urban areas, especially here in DC. But I do know from Judicial Watch's experience that uh, anyone um, who is of a political nature, any, you know, anyone, let's put this way, if you die and you're involved in politics in some way, your case is handled in a different way. Unfortunately, it's usually mishandled because the politicians get involved, whether or not there's any reason for them to be involved. Could be just a straightforward crime, but they got to muck it up. So I guarantee you Seth Rich's murder led to political involvement in the murder investigation in a way that may have resulted in the investigation not being pursued appropriately, all leads not being followed appropriately. So that's what our lawsuit's about. And um, I love Judicial Watch because we're not cowed by the major media who doesn't want to ask questions about the death of Seth Rich. So uh, we're, I'll let you know if we find anything there. So uh, we also have another major investigation. We've asked for documents about Rod Rosenstein, who was involved in the coup efforts against the president, wanted to wear a wire against President Trump, even though President Trump appointed him as number two of the Justice Department. He is the one who appointed Mueller. He's the one who was involved in talking about invoking the 25th Amendment, organizing that coup against the president. Really a key figure in the Justice Department. He was running things because Sessions had, was out of it more ways than one. So we have a new set of documents showing around the time Comey was fired and then Mueller was appointed, Rosenstein was getting all sorts of interesting communications from Obama officials, or former Obama officials. On May 15, 2017, someone sends them an email from the office with the subject line, Eric Holder just called for you. Eric Holder, former Justice Department Attorney General for the President of the United States, Barack Obama. The message says, please call him. You're going to love this. Remember John Huber? Who was part of that scam by Sessions to distract calls for us, distract us from demanding a special counsel, to distract me or Judicial Watch, but to distract Congress and other Americans from calling for a special counsel. They, uh, Sessions appointed Uber to, quote, investigate Clinton. That never, there was no investigation. May 16th, Uber wrote to Rosenstein, Rod, we're proud of you. For what? There's a time when Comey was appointed. Excuse me, Mueller was appointed. Next day, Mueller was appointed officially. Rosenstein's also talking to Washington Post, talking about leakers. He talks to Washington Post reporter Sarah Horowitz, sorry Horowitz, excuse me, included multiple off-the-record calls, information sharing, in an email exchange on May 2012, 2017, I think uh, Comey, had, I, I forget what day he had been fired. I think it was May 8th. I call it, you know, this is our seven days in May FOIA. This is the key, uh, this was where the coup in many ways was launched against the president in a significant way. Remember the movie Seven Days in May? I think that's the name of the movie, isn't it? 
we asked for documents between uh, Rosenstein's co uh, communications between May 8th and May 17th. So it's kind of 10 days in May, but I'm going to call it seven days in May. So um, he's talking about wearing a wire on the president, using the 25th Amendment, and out of that also flowed the appointment of Mueller. All that took place within that time period. So he's getting calls from the Washington Post, and she's complaining, the reporter is complaining about the DOJ spokeswoman yelling at her. So Rosenstein offers to talk to the spokeswoman for the Washington Post reporter and tells her, I will talk to Sarah. And, and the reporter responds, she's around all night if Rosenstein wants to talk off the record. Which suggests to me that that previously has happened. Does that, does it suggest that, does that sound right to you too? So I love about Judicial Watch. I love lots of things about Judicial Watch. But we put the documents out there, and if you don't like my spin, you can look at them and judge for yourself. We're not hiding them from you. Go to our website, judicialwatch.org. You can look at these emails. Maybe you'll find something we missed. And if you do, let us know. In an email exchange uh, around the time of the 13th through the 16th, again, Horowitz requests that they speak off the record again. Rosenstein replied by sending her a link to a story, a nice story about him in the Baltimore Sun. So he's doing his own press, which is fine. But it certainly shows that he was not a, a person who was keeping secrets at the Justice Department. And I think there's enough here to suggest there should be a more serious investigation of whether he leaked anything inappropriate. Lee. On May 18, 2017, she emails him with the subject line, Urgent! to ask him about President Trump being the focus of an FBI investigation. Can I please talk to you as soon as possible in deep background? So it's not clear what they talked about. He gets an email from Catherine Davis, a 60 Minutes produ uh, producer. I hope you're handling all this craziness this week. I hope you're, I'm sure that you are, much to discuss, FBI finalists and whether you are considering accusing, hoping not, but let me know. Let me know when I can come and visit next week. You know where to reach me in the meantime. Would you be reassured to know that the number two in the Justice Department had these types of relationships with Washington Post and 60 Minute reporters while he's figuring out and contemplating a coup against the President of the United States by wearing a wire, invoking the 25th Amendment, and appointing needlessly a special counsel to harass him? And then after he, report, after, he, after he appoints Mueller, all these Obama gang people start calling him. Obama special counsel. Wanted to send you a note of support. If there's anything I can do to be of help, let me know. Obama White House Deputy Associate Counsel, Mark Liotta. Thinking of you and your family. I hope you're hanging in there. Interestingly, he emails Brett Kavanaugh for Judge Bates' cell phone number. Judge Kavanaugh was on the appellate court at the time, and Judge Bates was a district court judge. That was shortly before he appointed Mueller. Top DOJ official James Cole writes an email to him, you have the right approach. So, oh, Steady Hoyer. Steady Hoyer, number two Democrat in the House talking to Rod Rosenstein just before he appoints Mueller special counsel. 
Bates sends him an email. Judge Bates sends him an email. Great move on the appointment of special counsel. Aren't these incredible? Obama's former principal deputy solicitor general and a very, very public anti-Trump activist, Neil Cato, Cattell, it's K-A-T-Y-A-L, Cato, that's how I pronounce it. He wants to talk to Rosenstein. He wants to call him. Excuse me, Rosenstein wants to call him. Really astonishing emails. And courtesy of Judicial Watch, not the dishonest media, and not the hapless Congress. So I have another set of documents I want to talk to you about. And these are really, and I don't say this lightly, because you know I've reviewed probably hundreds of thousands of documents in my 20, I'm here almost 22 years, believe it or not. 22 years. I was, a, I was mighty young when I began uh, here at Judicial Watch. This is the most, these documents we've received, thanks to a Judicial Watch FOIA lawsuit, are the most disturbing documents I've ever reviewed. And why is that? Because they document the transfer and sale, for profit or not, is a legal dispute or a legal debate or debate factually. But they document the transfer and sale of the body parts and tissue of aborted, unborn human beings. You may recall that uh, there was a controversy last year that um, there was trafficking in the body parts of unborn human beings. And the question is whether it was contrary to law or whether we were following the law. There's a federal law that, that regulates the purchase and acceptance of human fetal tissue for research purposes. It is unlawful to knowingly transfer fetal tissue for profit. Interestingly, according to the documents that we've received, it was found that federal regulations for the protection of human subjects do not apply to the above-named activity. What is the above-named activity we're investigating? The creation of humanized mouse, mice, by a, uh, a scientist or a, a lab associated with the National Institutes of Health. And they were buying uh, the uh, organs and other tissues related to uh, from aborted unborn human beings from the first and second trimester. 16, these are the documents, 676 pages, and uh, they're, I, it's, they're hard to describe. When you see an invoice, let me pull one out here. Let me get it out, excuse me. Thymus, second trimester. Liver, second trimester. The fee for each is blacked out. $750 paid via Visa. document after document showing that livers and organs of unborn human beings in the second trimester are being sold to this lab. Now they would say not at a profit, I would presume. That deserves further investigation and frankly it ought to be under criminal investigation. 
but really disturbing material. And I tell you, we've got all the documents here. You can go through and see document after document. It is a catalog of horrors that I've never seen before here at Judicial Watch. Products of human conception is what it's called in the documents. Do you think that's appropriate? Do you think you want, do you want your tax dollars being used to pay for those types of transactions, even if they're not for profit? The company we're looking at is um, a California-based firm, Advanced, Biosci Biosci excuse me, Advanced Bioscience Resources. There were at least 26 purchases from ABR by Dr. Kim Hassenkrug, who's a senior investigator at the NIH lab in Hamilton, Montana. That's what was going on here. We've got the documents. The purchase orders associated with the transaction state these tissues, liver, thymus, are required by Ron Messer for ongoing studies of HIV in the Hassenkrug lab. That's the Montana lab. Our mice will be ready for reconstitution soon. Beginning with a 2016 payment and running through April 2018 records, the records show that a fetal liver and thymus set cost 680 and the payment was due upon receipt. They gave us copies of the you know, you run your card and you get a little receipt. They had the receipts attached to the documents, copies of them. And then the cost increased to $750. All, may, all, all this was purchased via credit card. Again, there are criminal referrals on this activity by House and Senate committees. And they want to know whether Planned Parenthood, who is, I think, the largest provider of abortions in the country, or any other entity was illegally profiting from the handling of this fetal tissue from aborted unborn human beings. The records include a November 2009 request for review of research activity involving human subjects with the protocol study, with the protocol title Study of HIV Infection and Vaccine Protection in Mice Reconstituted with a Human Immune System. That basically they were developing this cohort of humanized mice using this tissue from aborted unborn human beings. So this is pretty this is pretty terrible stuff. The firm that is described as a nonprofit corporate foundation is devoted to providing services in connection with the procurement of human organs and tissues for medical and scientific research. Where are the subjects of this research activity located, one of the forums says. The answers, the material for this research is obtained from natural or induced abortions from females in California. Don't worry, they're protecting the identity of the poor women whose unborn human beings, who I'm sure who were told they weren't unborn human beings, morally or biologically, certainly they're biologically enough of human beings to have an organ that they could transaction with, transact with. I tell you, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. I hope never to see it again. And I hope it's stopped. I'm not confident it's been. 
Every responsible official government, from the president through the HHS secretary, Henry Azar, should investigate and stop the trafficking of the organs of unborn human beings. I think you would agree with that. As far as I'm concerned, these are taxpayer-funded Frankenstein-type experiments. And as a taxpayer, I want no part of it. I understand they're trying to come up with a solution to a disease, but the means does not justify the ends. So this, is, uh, this has been a, a curious week at Judicial Watch. It started with an attack on the president, ended with an attack on the president and the rule of law. Andrew McCabe has gotten out scot-free for his violations of law. Uh, the Justice Department has further exposed itself as an opponent of the Constitution, Republican governance with a small r. And once again, Judicial Watch is stepping into the gap, exposing corruption at the Justice Department, suing on a basic, one of the biggest issues in D.C. in terms of people who are trying to figure out what's really going on here, the Seth Rich murder. And then we uncover these abortion documents that frankly should be a headline across the world. All because we have your support. Can't do it without your support. We've got lawyers working on it. We've got investigators working on it. We've got our press team, our digital team. We all do it with your support. And all the work I'm talking about is because of your support. And I appreciate your standing with Judicial Watch. Our Constitution is under attack. We are in a crisis nationally in terms of the rule of law. And I like to think that Judicial Watch, and I know that Judicial Watch is, uh, because we've got millions of supporters, is on the line. We're on part of this thin blue line, practically speaking, defending the rule of law in our constitutional republic. And again, we do it with your support, and I thank you for your support. And if you're not supporting Judicial Watch, I think I've given you plenty of reason to join our movement. Thank you, and I'll see you next week here on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.